Like I'm not, um, I don't stand in front of you um, in a delusional state thinking, oh yeah, we're just gonna keep doing, you know, like, like I'm very uh, aware, keenly aware that, that we need to win, right? And so every decision that, that we've made um, within the last, you know, six to eight weeks has been that, hey, we need to win. It, time will tell. But every decision that we've made or that I've made has been for us to have better results in 2023. That's Neil Brown speaking Monday at an off-season press conference for WVU football. He says after a losing season, his second in a row and third in four years as the head coach of the Mountaineers, that he has a win-now mentality heading into the 2023 campaign. And that's prompted several changes on offense, some non-changes on defense, what one might call consistency, and a few other things along the way. We're going to break those things down for you here on this edition of the Golden Blue Nation podcast. We're brought to you by Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers, your WVLawFirm.com. I guess we should introduce, our, introduce ourselves to Nick Farrell here alongside Ryan Decker. Deck, it is, I guess, um, unusual to be talking football at this juncture. Normally, we don't have much to talk about around January, February, right. until we get into spring football. But after listening to Coach Brown for about 30 to 40 minutes today, I'd say that there is a fair bit to discuss. Yeah, really plenty to talk about. I mean, you, you mentioned there briefly the, the changes on the offensive side of the football, the lack of changes, or as you said, consistency, which I think is a good way to put it, on the defensive side of the ball, and some of the incoming players that, that WVU has acquired, either via the transfer portal or the normal, the regular route of recruiting. A lot, of, a lot to talk about. Absolutely. So we're going to get into those topics today on this edition of the podcast. We'll talk offensive staffing changes, the forecast for the defense going into 2023, and we'll also highlight some of the key transfers, incoming transfers that are already here that Coach Brown discussed during his press conference. Maybe we'll give you one prediction, too, for the upcoming football season. But as promised, let's start with the offense, because that's where most of the changes have been happening in terms of coaching staff. And let's recap all of them here just to get everybody up to speed. There are technically two new assistant coaches, but four people in new roles entering 2023. The first is Chad Scott, the running, running backs coach who was named the offensive coordinator earlier this month. Deck, you know, we have a great relationship with Coach Scott. Mm -hmm. Where we record the Neil Brown show during football season is in the recruiting lounge. And if you've been in the team facility taking a tour of it, you know that the recruiting lounge is right next to where the position coaches have their offices. And Coach Scott will sometimes drop in, see what's going on on set when we're recording with Coach or a player or another assistant coach. So we've gotten to know him pretty well over the last several years. If you ask me, if there's a guy in that, in that facility that has earned the trust of his players, not just that, but can get them enthused and ready to go, it is most definitely 100% Coach Scott. Yeah. And I think, that, I think that it's not just you know, being around him and, and getting to chat with him. He's a very energetic guy, right? But you can also see that in the returns from the offense. Right. This team has gotten much better at running the football over four years. Letty Brown, back-to-back 1,000-yard -back seasons. C.J. Donaldson comes out of nowhere as mm -hmm. a premier freshman in the Big 12 Conference, and had it not been for a se uh, several injuries across the year, but one season-ending injury, we would have seen much more production likely from that portion of the offense. But then also when you look at transfers, by my count, only two guys 
that Scott has recruited have left via the transfer portal, right? So we're leaving out some of the guys that he inherited. Mm-hmm. Avarius Sparrow comes to mind as one who left. And then Lynn J. Dixon is probably better off that he left, too. He was right. a transfer portal guy that was here for a cup of tea in the spring from Clemson and then left. So Coach Scott gets results, recruits well, but also the retaining piece has become huge in the transfer portal era over the last four years. And he does that exceptionally well, too. And I think I think the motivation for moving Scott to that offensive coordinator position is to try to get him to do all of those things and sprinkle him into those other position groups, right? Help them be more enthusiastic. Help them grow. Help those position coaches continue to recruit well and then retain their guys. Make right. them want to be here. I mean, Chad's got truly a leader. You can tell on the offensive side of the football within this program. And just really five words from Neil Brown that, that stuck out to me today. Guys want to follow him. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, could, you could tell in the announcement video the WV put out on social media it wasn't just the running backs and maybe some of the offensive linemen that he deals with on a day-to-day basis that got excited. It was everyone in that room that got excited that Chad Scott was getting promoted from the running backs coach to now overseeing the entire offense. And I think you're going to see it was some of what you talked about. You know, WVU football had its best rushing production year this year than it's had since 2016. That's the pre-Neil Brown era. So you're having really your best season coming off of that in five, six, seven years, and you're trying to translate that, build on off of that into a new season. It starts with C.J. Donaldson and Tony Mathis mm-hmm. and some of these other guys who really kind of anointed themselves and showed out here towards the end of last season. But Chad Scott's the leader of all that, and you're right. When it comes to recruiting, Rodney Gallagher, he was big on it. A yep. number of these guys, he's been really big on, and truly he's dipped onto the other side of the ball as well. If you get into the recruiting things, he's been one of those primary recruiters on the other side of the ball as well. He touches all facets of the game for WVU. Yeah, so I think if you look at the Golden Blue Nation camp, particularly Angelica Trinone yes. has the day off, uh, you're going to find a lot of fans of Chad Scott around here. Now, there is one thing. He doesn't have a ton of play-calling experience, right? And so that was something that was discussed during this press conference that is definitely going to be a storyline in mm-hmm. the spring and then in into the fall as well. Who's going to be calling the plays? How is that, going, that duty going to be distributed? Coach Brown... Discuss that if you want to listen to Coach Brown's press conference, you can at goldenbluenation.com. Not sure that it's really worth getting into that deeply right now because it's going to be discussed again during the spring when they kind of are going to figure some things out during right. scrimmages uh, to see to see how that is going to be balanced out in terms of play calling. So uh, one of the guys who might get into the mix in play calling is Sean Reagan, yeah. who has been sort of, I guess, what, what you might call a nomad here within WVU uh, because he was the quarterback's coach initially, then moved to tight ends coach last season when Graham Harrell was brought on to be the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And now Reagan has been moved back to the quarterbacks coach. And again, Coach Brown said something interesting I thought about Sean Reagan that really is true. He's a guy that got results with what he had, Mm -hmm. right? I think Coach Brown used this analogy. It's easy to get results out of great players, right? If you have guys that are great quarterbacks, maybe you don't need to coach them as much, right? If you have guys that are just good quarterbacks, you got to coach them. You got to get as much as you can out of what little is there. Right. And with all due respect to Jared Deggie, who I think his name has been dragged through the mud here over the last 18 months or so, Jared Deggie finished his career, which was roughly two and a half seasons at WVU, as what the fifth best passer all time in terms of passing yards at West Virginia, right? I think that that is a pretty fine example of getting a lot out of a little, right? Uh, again, I know a lot of fans like to trash Deggie and, and, uh, I mean, I think I think Deggie was fine, and that and that I, really what the point I'm trying to make here is I think Brown is right. 
he understands that Jared Deggie was not a Heisman Trophy finalist type of quarterback, right? right. He was maybe a middle-of-the-road quarterback who became a decent enough Big 12 starter because of Sean Reagan getting him there, right? And so I think that's another reason to be optimistic about that particular change. Maybe not the most glamorous change, right? right. Not, not a huge, splashy hire, but somebody who has had proven results here at West Virginia in getting Deggie to be that type of quarterback, to be good enough to be a Big 12 starter. I think that's a good sign when you take a look at who's left there and Nico Marchio and Garrett Green, right? There's a lot of talent there that's going to need some work. Maybe Reagan is the guy to do that. Right, and that's exactly what I was going to say. You translate from uh, Jared Deggie, who... Like you said, he wasn't going to be the best passer in the Big 12, but he could be, I guess you could say, a consistent guy for WVU. He arguably got you better results than JT Daniels got you last well, that year. that is such a great point. That is such a great and, point. And obviously, you know, JT Daniels probably more talented, maybe more cerebral, more knowledgeable than Jared Deggie, but Jared Deggie got you better results, I think you can argue. Moving on to this year, you've got Garrett Green and Nico Markiel, who are probably, I think we can say this, more talented than Jared Deggie. So you're already a leg up if you're Sean Regging and working with better, maybe more talented individuals, but they're still raw. Garrett's played a little bit over the last couple right. of years, but he has he doesn't have a full season, truly, right. under his belt. Nico got into a handful games, of games maybe. last year. Right. Yeah, I mean, really played significant snaps once, and that was in the very end of, of last season against Oklahoma State. So, I mean, it's raw talent. Maybe Sean Reagan's the guy to k- kind of w- work the marble, so to speak. You, you got to chisel that into the statue, and you give him that raw slab of marble to do, to work with. Yeah, so Jared Dagey, 6,400 passing yards. That ranks fifth all-time at WVU. I'm not saying that Jared Dagey was Will Greer, right? That's not the point that I'm trying That's to make. That's the headline here. I'm going to write no, after this. No, it's not the point. The point is what you said is that, like, I think West Virginia fans maybe needed to be careful what they wished for there, and it's easy to say that in hindsight now. But uh, I also think that there was maybe more to that story that fans didn't see in terms of the work that Sean Reagan was able to do with yeah. Deggy in order to get him to, to be that type of quarterback that, that, could, that could get them to, to the Liberty Bowl during that pandemic season. Right. right. Okay, so let's talk about the other two newcomers as assistant coaches on the offensive side of the ball. Bilal Marshall is the wide receivers coach and is an interesting story. He was a graduate assistant at WVU and is now coming back to be a full-time assistant. I mm-hmm. think, Deck, he's a guy that they're really excited about. They liked him when he was a GA, and they pounced on the opportunity to bring him in here to be a full-time assistant. Yeah, it seemed like Neil was really excited about Bilal when he was speaking about him here on Monday. A guy that it, pretty clearly it seems like the, that Brown and the coaching staff feel he's going to affect the on-field product in the here and now, but he's also going to be a really good recruiter. It seemed mm-hmm. like um, it, it seemed like he talked about Bilal the way, this might be a weird comment first, the way a lot of people spoke about Herm Edwards when he took over at Arizona State, a guy that can kind of go into any home and immediately relate to people. He seems very relatable in the way t- people talk about Bilal Marshall, so I think it's a great addition to this coaching staff. And then the the real big one we saved for last, or into, I guess big name you mm-hmm. could say, of course, is Blaine Stewart, who's been brought on to be the tight ends coach. So again, Reagan was the tight ends coach. Uh, last season has moved back to quarterbacks. Blaine Scott, the son, uh, sorry, Blaine Stewart, mm-hmm. the son of Bill Stewart, has now been brought on to be the tight ends coach at West Virginia. He was the assistant wide receivers coach with the Pittsburgh Steelers for several seasons. Continued to hone relationships at WVU while he was in the NFL. Coach Brown said that Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the right. Steelers, also helped facilitate some of those relationships. I can remember seeing Blaine Stewart maybe at some pro days or spring practices over the last couple of mm-hmm. years. Uh, I mean, 
come on, that, that's that's just one that really makes sense, right? It seems right. like it's a great fit and is really one of those storylines that that is so uniquely college football, right? And it, it's 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 exciting. I know a lot of fans are excited, but really the potential here is great because Stewart has already worked at the professional level, right? He's worked at the highest level of football maybe is not going to be an experienced recruiter coming in, right. but probably understands the things that are necessary to be a good recruiter and a good retainer of talent when when you get those players here. Right. So so automatically, you know, Blaine Stewart's a guy who's worked with elite talent players. He worked he's worked in the Pittsburgh Steelers organization and we know they've had elite talent guys over the course of his tenure there. But you talk about recruiting, which Neil Brown said he's going to have to learn the ins and outs of that, how to do that correctly in terms of, you know, NCAA guidelines and all those things. But as big of an emphasis as Neil, as Neil Brown has put on keeping the top in-state recruits in West Virginia, slam dunk. I mean, yeah, it, it's really going to be hard to go into any household at this point in West Virginia if you're Blaine Stewart and those people not know who you are, not know your father's legacy, not know what that meant to WVU at that time that all that took place. It, it's, I mean, slam dunk, really. Yeah, I totally agree, Dex. So super, super excited to see how that falls together. So that's an update on the changes on the offensive coaching staff. What about the defensive staff? Technically, really, no changes in terms of coaching staff, right? right? And Coach, Bla- Coach Brown explained why today during his press conference. Team's been really good on defense a couple of years ago. 2020, really good on defense. 2021, really good on defense. In fact, had one of the top scoring defenses in the nation during that stretch. Then last year, in 2022, West Virginia ranked next to last in scoring defense in the Big 12 Conference, giving up roughly 33 points per game, and then was in the middle of the pack in total defense. Sorry, I said one of the top scoring defenses in the nation. meant top total defenses in the nation during 2020 and 2021. So, yeah, there was a decline on the defensive side of the ball, right? But here's Coach Brown's logic on why there weren't changes made, at least at this point. Brown thinks the guys who are in place right now have already proven that they can have a winning defense at WVU, and so that's why he believes that they'll coach them into getting back to being a winning defense in 2023. He also explained this. When you fire people who aren't getting results, there's no guarantee that the next guys are going to get results, right? right? And it's clear that he has a ton of faith in his assistance on the defensive side of the ball, to get things back in order and get to where they were a couple of seasons ago where they arguably were the best or one of the best defenses in the Big 12. Right, and I I mean, one of the factors that really hurt the WVU defense last year was health. I mean, you think Charles Woods goes out the first game of the season. Obviously, you know you're not going to be with him this season, but you know that going into this season. Last year, you thought, okay, we've got an all-Big 12, maybe a fringe All-American type talent anchoring the, the defensive backs. No, you don't. He's gone for most of the year right out of the right. gate. That really puts you behind the eight ball from a game planning standpoint. And then there were, there were just other things where maybe some fits weren't exactly correct. I mean, you had some guys ball out, but across the board, I think fit maybe wasn't exactly where it needed to be in year one. But you keep everybody who is coming back, keep them around for a second year. That fit, that, that kind of chemistry we talk about across all sports, that, that could be there this year. So West Virginia is losing a lot of guys via right. the transfer portal on offense. Not as many maybe in terms of mass on defense, but losing some big names nonetheless. You mentioned Woods, who was a high-profile guy entering last season, really only played one half of football healthy last year, right. you could argue, because he did come back and, and see some time after that leg injury uh, late in the season. And then as Coach Brown told us, 
final month of the season, he shut it down himself. Woods mm-hmm. Woods knew that he was going to transfer uh, probably sometime in November, and even uh, I, I think he made his announcement he, he was entering the portal before the season actually ended. If Correct. Yeah. Serves. Yeah. Um, and then also on the defensive line. Jordan Jefferson is is heading to LSU, and then somehow Taj Alston is going to play a what twenty fourth season of college football. Feels like something it. Like I mean, that. him and JT are battling it out to see who yeah, can who stay can in college longer. Right. So so those those really to me, unless I'm forgetting someone, deck those are the three guys that probably had the biggest production. Yeah. Uh, and then I think Saint McLeod, you, you could maybe throw in there as a guy who at one point there was some optimism that he could be a really talented player, but has had some really unfortunate things happen. Right. So maybe you could add his name in there, uh, just just on notoriety's sake. Um, so, so that that's it for the players, right? Uh, I, I think it is interesting going back to the point that Coach Brown made about having the pieces in terms of coaching staff capable of moving them forward. Um, but they are going to need to replace some pieces, right? And, and that is one last note that, that we should mention here. Coach Brown during his press conference, saying that he thinks that the transfer portal hurt WVU more in 2022 than he initially expected and didn't really pick up on that fact. It didn't become apparent until fall camp or the beginning of the regular season, right? And so the hope is is that the coaching staff as a whole, but especially Brown, will be better at evaluating those needs now rather than before it's too late, right? Because you've got one more transfer window coming up in April. They have some scholarships. They're at about 80 scholarships roughly right now. Going to add at least one more prep player, and then you have opportunities to add additional transfers. Mm-hmm. You know, last year, they lost, uh, going into last year, they lost a lot of pieces in the secondary. They tried to add new pieces in the secondary, and some of those guys really weren't fits. Your point about Woods is a great one. Maybe had he not gotten hurt, it would have been a different situation, but they just didn't have the right fits in the secondary. Right. Now it seems that they're they're really attacking the defensive line. They've brought in a couple of transfers, mm-hmm. and we're going to discuss at least one of those guys here in a moment. Uh, how how will how will that transition go? What about Dante Stills, right? This is going to be the first time in a long time that they haven't had one of the Stills brothers right. up front on that defensive line. So I think there are a lot of personnel questions that are still to be answered here. Um I don't know, just interested to see how, how that goes about in the spring and if we can see some of these players start to emerge. And so on the defensive end, we you have all those questions, all those different changes. I think to Neil Brown's credit, why add in another change of bringing in a new voice to go along with all the other new voices on the player side of things mm-hmm. you're already bringing in? I think that maybe could have been, because there was, what, one or two changes to the defensive staff heading into the last season? Yeah, that sounds about right. So, yeah. so you already had new player voices and then a new coach voice or two as well. Why make changes for changes' sake, which right. is essentially what he said today, what, what Brown said, why make changes just to change? Because to go back to your point, you don't know if all of those changes are going to work out. I think that's why you keep the staff intact, so that way there's at least some sort of uh, familiarity or consistency in what's being taught from the guys who are returning to right. also the guys who are incoming. So those are. Uh, if you want to hear more thoughts from head coach Neil Brown, you can do that on our website, goldenbluenation.com. We have the link to his full press conference there available for you. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to do something a little bit fun. We're going to make our early predictions for the transfer and returner who could make the biggest impact on Neil Brown's team in 2023. That after this quick word from our sponsor. Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers. Unexpected hurdle? Pritt and Spano. Unseen circumstance? Pritt and Spano. 
personal injury, criminal law, flash wills, family law. You need a firm that will be with you through it all. Pritt and Spano, their passionate team, will employ their resources and unique perspectives to deliver the most effective representation. When you find yourself in need, turn to those who will fight for you. Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers. Find them at yourwvlawfirm.com. Golden Blue Nation podcast continues. Nick Farrell here alongside Ryan Decker as we have a juicy bit of off-season football to discuss here. So let's do something fun, Deck. Let's try to peer into the crystal ball, right? Coach Brown highlighted somewhere between six and eight incoming transfers Mm -hmm. who are already with WVU. They've signed their letters of intent. They're bound to the Mountaineers. They've already enrolled and they've begun working out with the team. In fact, the team's uh, strength and conditioning program began last week and is beginning week two today Mm -hmm. on Monday. So as you take a look at the list of guys that Coach Brown highlighted, Who's the guy that you think is most likely to come in and be that impact type of player that immediately makes his presence known for the Mountaineers? I'm talking like a Tony Fields type guy in 2020, somebody who comes in and is immediately becomes a big name, household name around here with the Mountaineers. So we were just speaking about the defensive side of the ball before we went to that break. I'm going to stay on the defensive side of the ball here. when it comes to the transfers, Davion Hawkins or Day-Day Hawkins, as Neil Brown referred to him as, you know, a guy that got a Power 5 offer, Power 5 opportunity out of high school, went to Kentucky. So there is a little bit of familiarity there with between Coach Brown, Brown right. and Hawkins. Ended up going to Tennessee State and became a really, really good player there at Tennessee State. Now he gets his second opportunity at the Division One side of things. And not to foreshadow a little bit here, give anything away, it's a little bit like the Lee Koba story. Mm-hmm. A little bit where Lee, you know, he got the Syracuse offer. He went to Syracuse out of high school. Things didn't work out there. He goes to the JUCO route, and then boom, he's back in Division One Power 5 football. Possibly we could be seeing some of that same maturation process here out of Davion Hawkins, uh, a guy that really is going to have to replace at least some of the production of Jordan Jefferson and Dante Stills. Now, that's a tall task right. to do because right. Jordan Jefferson was so good last year. Dante, as we all know, has been so good the last couple of seasons, really his entire WVU career. But Davion Hawkins is going to have to be one of those guys that really steps in and pretty much from day one, I think, kind of announces himself as a leader, especially on that defensive front. Brown mentioned, I think specifically when talking about Hawkins, that he's a Jordan Jefferson replacement, a guy who can produce numbers on the interior defensive line uh, after Jefferson announced that he's leaving West Virginia to go to LSU. And you, Sorry, real quick. You look at his numbers from Tennessee uh, State. Uh, 92 career tackles, finished with 18 tackles for loss there, eight sacks, uh, five forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, and a couple of block kicks as well. He's a guy that does it all in terms of getting stops in the offensive backfield. So... Hawkins, a guy with one year to go, right? Basically a COVID year to play Mm -hmm. here at West Virginia. I'm going to go on the other side of the ball at wide receiver, Devin Carter, North Carolina State. Coach Brown said a guy who is a number one wide receiver, capable guy. Uh, 1,900 receiving yards. He's approaching 2,000 on his collegiate career and is likely going to get there pretty quickly at West Virginia. Had 10 touchdowns at his previous stop. It's interesting. You saw some of the chatter when Carter announced that he was coming to WVU. That It seemed that Bryce Ford Wheaton may have had a role in getting him here. Mm -hmm. Of course, Ford Wheaton is a Mountaineer legacy, but is also from North Carolina. Uh, So there's a relationship there. And Brown also, uh, he, he, he... 
he admitted that, yes, Ford Wheaton definitely had a role in getting him here because Carter right. saw the type of success that Ford Wheaton has had over the past couple of years as being West Virginia's go-to guy mm-hmm. at wide receiver. So really excited to see what, what Carter can do for WBU. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about West Virginia being a run-heavy team in 2023, and that's possible, but they still got to have guys that can catch Right. And be downfield threats. And it's so, still the Big 12 at the end of the day. That's you right. have to be able to throw. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. So I think I think Carter is going to end up being the guy next year. So excited to see how that plays out. Now, I thought to me, to me, Deck, the biggest takeaway that I had from Coach Brown's presser today is this. He said that 2023 isn't about the transfer portal. It isn't about the coaching changes. I mean, those things are all going to have a role in success. 2023, success next season is about the development of the guys who are already here, who have been with the program. And he points to TCU as a blueprint for that type of success. Yeah, they had a new head coach in Sonny Dykes, but look at what they did in that one year. They went from being a 500 Big 12 team to being a national title contender, a team that played in the national championship game, had a guy at quarterback who ended up being a Heisman finalist in Max Duggan. But but then you had a bunch of other guys that he pointed to, right? Like the running back, Kendra Miller, who had a, a, a terrific offseason and then a terrific 2022. He said all five of their offensive linemen were guys who were in the program, got better, and made a huge impact the next year. Um, Quinton Johnson is a probably first-round draft pick, talented wide receiver right. at TCU, right? So you've got a lot of guys who played there for the Horned Frogs for a while and were just sort of sitting there and they got really good, and then they went and played for the national championship game. I'm not saying that's going to happen at West Virginia this year. I'm not. But if West Virginia is going to make a big leap and do something similar to what TCU did, go from being 5-7 and seven to, say, maybe being a Big 12 contender, a contender for the Big 12 championship game. Let's start there. I don't know that that's starting small. We'll start there. Who's that guy, Deck, that is going to be a key driver in getting them to that point that's already on the roster. I think it's Lee Koba for me. We're talking about having to replace some big names on defense like Jordan Jefferson, like Dante Stills, Taj Austin. To me, Lee's a guy who, he came in last year and was pretty quickly becoming one of the leaders of this team, but there were already some leaders who were already in-house. This year, he is the leader of this defense. He 92 total tackles last year, 5.5 tackles for loss, 3.5 sacks. The tackles were there, but I think that that, that offensive backfield stoppage that I think a lot of people were hoping to see out of Lee Koba, we didn't see as much of that as was predicted or was as as expected maybe. That's what we're going to have to see this year out of him, a guy who can get into the backfield but can also cover in the passing game, stop the running game You know, before the running back gets to the second level, all those things. Lee Koba is going to have to be, I think, that leader, that guy that takes that next step. Obviously, physically, anyone who's seen Lee knows physically he's an imposing specimen of a human being. Now be that statistically on the defensive end. For me, Deck, I'll go offense, and I think that he's the most obvious guy. It's not Garrett Green. It's not Nico Markule. To me, I think that C.J. Donaldson is the key to the future yeah. on offense, right? And... Yeah, it's obvious because he was a breakout player. He's coming back for his sophomore season. What can he do next year? Really, I I think, I'm not saying that I'm concerned about him coming back from his injury, but he had such a great year, and then it all got brought to a screeching halt, right? Coach Brown said that he's going to be ready to go in the spring. Mm -hmm. He is off his scooter and walking under his own power, and so he's going to be ready to go. What can this guy do? 
when you talk about development and growth, what can this guy do with a full offseason at West Virginia, knowing what his role is going to be, that he's likely going to be the guy at running back? No more question of, are you going to play tight end? Are you going to be a wide receiver? But focusing on those things, working with Chad Scott, the new offensive coordinator, how can they mold him, right? right? How can they refine him to be a threat out of the backfield who averaged six yards per carry last season and led the team in rushing yards per game? How can they get him to be a great pass-catching threat? What other what other things can they mix in? Will they line him up in the slot? Could they even line him up like a tight end at some times, right? Um, the, and, and above all else, can they get him to a point where he's going to be in shape can go the distance, can be a guy who gets, say, 20 touches per game, mm-hmm. but can also stay healthy throughout the year. Right. I mean, that's that's a huge ask. I totally realize that. Running backs get banged up. Even Tony Mathis only played 10 games last season. Right. Donaldson played seven. But can they get him to a point, conditioning-wise, where he's back up to speed and even better than he was last year so that he can be the type of guy that goes from averaging six yards per carry to maybe seven or eight 75 yards a game to 100-plus, right? I mean, that, then we're talking about another 1,000-yard back for West Virginia right. like Letty Brown eight, two and three seasons ago. So to me, Donaldson is the guy. He is the key. And I know you got to have a good quarterback. Like I, I totally get that. And I don't know if that's going to be green. I don't know if that's going to be Nico or some combination of both. Or but Sean it, Boyle. <laughs> that too. But if you have a guy like C.J. Donaldson who could have a Kendra Miller type of year. I mean, West Virginia is going to be a handful on offense next right. year. It, the offensive style, obviously we, we, we mentioned play calling, and Neil kind of got into that on Monday. We'll see what happens with the play calling aspect of things. But the style of offense that West Virginia is going to run this year is really intriguing to me as we are eight months away from the season getting started because you really wonder with, with three true really good running backs – in this backfield, what all is West Virginia going to be able to do with them? On top of you bring in, uh, you bring in the, the wide receiver uh, Devin Carter out of NC State. What can you do with him? What can you do with Cole Taylor, the tight end out of LSU? There's a lot of options, and then you got Tomas Remack, who was also in the offense last year. What can you do offensively to make yourself unique? different maybe than you have been in years past to open up some of those those three E's that Neil Brown was talking about, especially the explosiveness on offense. How can you be more explosive? And obviously, to go back to your point, it starts with CJ, I think. Last thought, Dak, before we wrap this up. Coach Brown was asked, does he know about the schedule? And, you know, they're, they're, the Big 12 football schedule has been under wraps, something that people want to dig into. And I think it has a lot to do with our Texas and Oklahoma going to be on the schedule. Coach Brown says he knows who they're playing, but doesn't really know anything else. And that was all that he, that was all that he kind of gave insight into. Uh, it, it's very likely that the schedule is coming soon. Uh, there have been some mixed reports. Would it be January? Would it be February? My guess is it's probably coming this week or sometime soon. So that'll be the next football-related thing to keep an eye out for. Who's coming, who's coming to West Virginia? The, the things that I most want to know, which, which of the new teams are coming to WVU? When is Houston coming to WVU? Because you know that West Virginia is playing Houston this year, and you know it's going to be at Milan Pushkar Stadium, right? I, hope I mean, so. it has to be. Right? We hope so. I, I don't know. I feel like the Big Twelve is missing a major opportunity there by right. not by not having that game probably lead off the Big Twelve. D- Devil's advocate for an aside here: Do you save that for year two to get all the new out of the way this year, and then you have a slam dunk uh, moneymaker? No, no, no. You don't say that for, because for year you two. don't know how much can change. I mean, True. I, I think That's I fair. think that, that, that if there's anything we've learned in college football over the last several, or just college sports in general over the last four years, is that there's no 
point in waiting because things will change, right? right? And so if you have an opportunity to put Dana Holgerson against his former team and the coach that replaced him, you probably got to do it right away. Right. Uh, that's, that's just me. If I was the commissioner, I would be doing that. But then the other thing you is- You could have like, told him he was just I'm, in Morgantown. I know. I missed my yeah. opportunity. Shucks. It's not like the schedule's already been made for several months. <laughs> Surely there's a hang up with Oklahoma and Texas, right? And so that, that's the thing that I think is most enticing about the schedule release. Are those guys getting out early? Right. And I mean, I think when they release the schedule, it is going to be apparent. Right. Is, is te- are Texas and Oklahoma getting out of the league heading into 2023-24, or will they be sticking around until 2025? So the, it, it's looking like they're going to be heading out, but we, we won't really know until it's official. Right, and, and like the numbers of what Texas and Oklahoma would have to pay as academic programs right. and institutions, that's been floated out there a bunch over the last couple of weeks. I mean, really, yeah, it does come down to what's Texas and Oklahoma going to be doing. I did just look it up. The SEC released its schedule back in September. That's a fair so, point. So right. it, that you think is set in stone. Can't say I've been monitoring the SEC, so I don't know how right. quiet they've been on that front compared to past years, but maybe there's something in the works there. You, you never know. Don't want to get into speculation here, but would love to know. Yeah, when this Big 12 schedule is going to be released. Right, I, mean, I mean, I've kind of been one of the ones clamoring for that. I would just like to know, you know, right. wh- when exactly maybe is WVU going to Penn State? Will that stay yeah. on a Saturday, or is that getting flexed yeah. like the Pitt game did last year? And will the Pitt will, game get flexed, Will too? the Pitt game get flexed? I wonder if that'll flexed. be a Thursday night game uh, like you know, Virginia Tech was last season. Right. Exactly. Will we have any more Thursday night Big 12 games like we had mm-hmm. th- this past season or any other primetime games that are already scheduled right out of the game? All those things. You, you just want to know from a game planning standpoint, also a crystal ball standpoint. Yeah, right. So, yeah. folks, if you made it this far on the podcast, here's a promise. Whenever they do release the Big 12 schedule, we'll probably put out an episode reacting to yeah. it shortly thereafter. One thing that we also like to do with the Golden Blue Nation podcast, which we remind you is brought to you by Pritt & Spano, West Virginia's lawyers, your WVLawfirm.com. When we started this podcast a year ago, 51 episodes ago, we did a lot of interviews with former players, people closely tied to Mountaineer Nation. That's what we'd like to start getting back into. So if you have any requests for who you'd like to see us interview over the next several months, let us know. Shoot us a message on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure you're following us on all of those platforms, by the way. And if you did enjoy this podcast, subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, Google, or Amazon Music so that you have future episodes delivered to you. And if you'd be so kind as to leave us a rating or a review, we'd really appreciate that too. Five-star reviews help other fans find the show, as does word of mouth. You just tell your friends. Like Deck, make sure you listen to the Golden Blue Nation podcast. I'm going to jump right on that. Why don't you tell your friends? Will do. Appreciate your time and insight today, Deck. Anytime. All right, this has been the Golden Blue Nation podcast presented by Pritt and Spano, West Virginia's lawyers, yourwvlawfirm.com. For Ryan Decker, I'm Nick Farrell, signing off. Talk to you next time.